you to uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what we celebrated this past week. We thank you that we're continuing to celebrate that through today, uh, taking this one last opportunity uh, of thanksgiving and bringing you our praise and our thanks. And this is something we should be doing every day uh, as we bring our prayers and supplications to you as, as your word tells us to do so with thanksgiving. That any time we come to you with requests, we should do so with thanksgiving. Uh, because you have been so good to us, who you are and what you've done for us, giving us that salvation, giving us that eternal life, giving us your word uh, that, that its truth guides our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time this morning, uh, that your spirit would go forth, that hearts would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's some facts from National Geographic uh, about animals and their camouflage that I found interesting. Zebras with their stripes would stand out on their own and be an easy target for predators such as lions. But they almost always stay and travel together as a herd. And when they're all together as a herd, they're impossible to pick out uh, by lions. This is the case especially because lions, and I don't know if, I didn't know this before, I don't know if you knew this before, are colorblind. Uh, and so because of that, it doesn't matter that the zebras are black and white and don't necessarily blend into their surroundings because it all looks the same to lions. Uh, other species of animals have microscopic physical characteristics that act as prisms. And their camouflage has more to do with the refraction of light than anything else. For instance, I don't know how many of us knew the fact, I didn't know this, knew the fact that polar bears actually have black skin. And what we see as white fur is due to their translucent fur and the sunlight reflecting off of the surrounding snow around them. This refraction of light causes polar bears to blend in with the snow. That's really, really interesting, isn't it? And lastly, we all know about chameleons and how they can change their skin color. But while we may have assumed that they change their skin color to simply blend into their surroundings if they feel threatened, scientists have discovered that their acts of changing colors is actually a method of communication to other chameleons that there is danger nearby and that they should also change color to protect themselves. I know I hadn't really heard of or known some of these things about animals and their camouflage, and it's fascinating to see the creativity that God used in his creation. In addition, while these animals can use their God-given camouflage to blend in their, into their surroundings for different and various reasons and be difficult to find and see, as Jesus reveals in this morning's passage, God does not make it hard to see him. But... What goes into that? What does Jesus reveal about how we can see God, how we can see his glory in this time following, this time of him saying these words? And how does that directly impact our view and relationship with God? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about all that is wrapped up in Jesus' declaration that he is I am. We looked at a couple of weeks ago, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and all that is wrapped up in that. 
He is I am, and as I am, or God, he had the authority to declare that he is the way to God the Father in his household of heaven. He is the absolute truth of God's word and his righteous standards, and he is the life, the way to eternal life and the source of the Holy Spirit of living water. Not only that, but Jesus declared in verse 6 that it's only through him and his death and resurrection alone that anyone can come to God the Father. There are no other ways to heaven. That's it. Just as what led up to him making that declaration in verse 6, Jesus can clearly see that his disciples still don't get what he's talking about. He was abundantly clear that he was one and the same as I am, the same I am that spoke to Moses through the burning bush. But he can see that it still wasn't clicking for his disciples, all that that meant. And so, as one biblical scholar points out, the following verse, verse 7, which we're picking up in this morning, is a follow-up rebuke from Jesus to his disciples. And we'll see that as we work our way through this morning's message. There are going to be a lot of connections to what Jesus has already said in the preceding verse 6, and it only makes perfect sense because verse 7 is actually a continuation of verse 6. So if you brought your Bibles with you today, please turn to John chapter 14. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John 14 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. We're going to pick up in verse 7. You may see a separation in your Bible between verse 6 and verse 7 where a new um, subject starts here, but like I said, verse 7 is directly connected to verse 6 and it's a continuation of it. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. As Jesus is referring to here, his entire ministry, he's been with his disciples, he's been revealing to them that he is God, that he is God the Father's representative, and as such, all he's ever done is what the Father told him to say and do. If Jesus' disciples had truly tried to get to know Jesus as he actually was, they would have clearly seen that they were also getting to know the heart of God the Father as well. As Jesus says next in this verse, from that moment forward, as one biblical scholar notes, especially with all the deep theological truths and love that he would be revealing to them very soon, that same evening, and only them from that moment forward, they would and should get to know who God the Father is. Jesus would elaborate on that in the following verses, which we'll cover more next week. But for now, another one of Jesus' disciples speaks up. So far, during this last Passover meal that Jesus is spending with his disciples before his arrest, death, and resurrection, we've heard from who? We've heard from Peter, then Thomas spoke up, and now Philip is going to say something. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. As has been pointed out, Philip is probably thinking about put yourself in Philip's shoes here. He's probably thinking about the stories in the Old Testament where there were what are termed theophanies. You might have heard that term before. What that means is manifestations of God's presence and glory. 
Now, it's been 400 years at this point since God had even spoken to the last Old Testament prophet, much less a manifestation of God's glory. Philip was probably thinking, we've been, through Jesus. we've been with Jesus this long. We've been through a lot with him. If anyone deserves to see a manifestation of God's glory, it's us. Now, Philip was not one of the three of Peter, James, and John that Jesus had revealed his transfiguration of God's glory through him earlier. And so Philip is craving an experience of God's glory. Philip is craving an experience of God's glory. A lot of Christians continue to go through life and live their spiritual walk with that same craving of just wanting to experience a manifestation of God's glory or a crazy spiritual experience with some of the more miraculous spiritual gifts and sometimes entire church services are based on that craving. But as we'll see in Jesus' response to Philip, that's not what we are to crave as Jesus' followers. Jesus had already mentioned in verse 7 that from that point forward, things as it pertained to the manifestation of God's presence and glory were going to be different than any other point in history. He's declaring that in the verse we we just read in verse 7. What had been the way things were? God chose to reveal his presence in several different ways that we can see from the Old Testament. He had revealed his presence and glory through a bush that was on fire but not burning up, through a pillar of smoke during the day and fire at night, and through different visions of his glory to prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel. But there was also a manifestation of God's presence and glory that occurred throughout human history in the Old Testament. And all of the theophanies I just mentioned a second ago, those were simply manifestations of God's presence and glory, not God himself, and certainly not the full and blinding glory that goes right along with that. In fact, the Holy Spirit guided the Apostle John to state this at the very beginning of this gospel that goes hand in hand with what Jesus just said in verse 7. No one has seen God at any time. He's talking about God the Father. God the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. He has revealed him. The other manifestations of God's presence and glory are known as Christophanies in the Old Testament or the revelation of God the Son in a more physical form, also known as, you may have heard this term before, the pre-incarnate Christ or God the Son before he took on human flesh and was born from a human woman and laid in a manger. So really, in a a very real way, as John 1.18 and what Jesus said in verse 7 of this morning's passage, in a very real way, it's very similar to what Jesus has already said in John 14.6, and that's this, that no one has ever seen the full weight of God the Father's presence and glory, and that God the Son has always, throughout all of human history, been God the Father's revelation of himself. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but just as Jesus already said in verse 6, he is the way to God the Father. 
A couple of weeks ago, we looked at how this was nothing new and that Jesus was always the way for humanity to connect to and have a relationship with God. It was through Jesus that humanity itself was even created, along with the human soul. And so he was the conduit through which, Jesus, uh, through which God, the Father, related to his creation. And after humanity sinned for the first time, we talked about how the language used in Genesis 3.8 for God walking in the garden and making noise through that walking that Adam and Eve heard indicates that there were feet and legs moving to make that noise. As such, it's very likely that when God showed up to the garden to place curses on man, on woman, on Satan, and on the whole earth, it was through God the Son showing up in his pre-incarnate form. God the Son then showed up in his pre-incarnate form at various other times, most likely as one of the so-called men that showed up at Abraham's tent, uh, to reiterate the promise of a son and warn him about the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and to reiterate, like I said, reiterate the promise of a son to him and Sarah. It's most likely the pre-incarnate Christ who shows up to physically wrestle with Jacob on his way to meet up with his estranged brother Esau. With the language that is used for it, God the Son is most likely, and I don't know how many of us have thought about this too much before, God the Son is most likely the angel of death who visits Egypt and kills all the firstborn sons not protected by the blood of the Passover lamb, which in, in and of itself adds a whole other layer to that event, that the Passover lamb protected humans from the destruction of the one who would end up shedding his own blood as the fulfillment of the Passover lamb to save all of humanity from destruction, those who would come to him. With the description of his back being seen, it could have very well have been God the Son who walked past Moses in the cleft of the rock when Moses requested to see God's glory, and the commander of the Lord's army who spoke with Joshua before the Israelites started marching around Jericho was most likely the pre-incarnate Christ. So in other words, none of this is new. God the Son has always, in some ways, been the revelation of God's presence and glory towards humanity. And now that the pre-incarnate Christ became the incarnate Christ, or God in human flesh, soon to die as that Christ, or messianic deliverer king, something has changed in human history. Now, from that point forward that Jesus said the words recorded in verse 7, the presence and glory of God the Father would only be revealed in Jesus. The author of Hebrews reiterates this when it was written, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact rep representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. As Jesus said in verse 7, as his disciples saw and knew him, from that point forward, they were also seeing and knowing God the Father through Jesus. 
This is what leads Jesus to respond to Philip's craving to see some kind of uh, theophany manifestation of God's glory with what he says in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? As biblical scholarship points out, this is probably, and I want to be very clear about this, the most brazen and overwhelmingly clear statement that Jesus makes about himself and his deity, right here in verse 9. So again, I've said this multiple times. Anyone who claims that Jesus never claimed himself to be God has never actually read, much less studied their Bibles. As one scholar wrote about this verse, and I quote, This claim of Jesus is nothing less than a stupendous declaration of Jesus' deity leading to the New Testament teaching of the Trinity. Right here in this verse, verse 9. So in other words, this one statement of Jesus in verse 9, which we may be tempted to just quickly read through and say, yeah, so what, is a statement directly from Jesus himself, recorded by an eyewitness who is there to hear him say it, and led by the Holy Spirit to do so, that our entire New Testament doctrine of the Trinity is based on. Right here. Jesus meant it to be that abundantly and audaciously clear of a statement. That as elaborated on by one biblical scholar, both reveals that God the Father is completely revealed in God the Son and thus are one, but at the same time are also two distinct persons. Now that's all great to have as theological head knowledge, but how does and how should that theological head knowledge impact our hearts and spiritual lives? As we read in Hebrews a couple of minutes ago as well, Jesus is even the full radiance of God the Father's glory. As we get to know Jesus, both in reading of the word of God and in communing in prayer with him, we're also getting to know and building a deeper relationship with God the Father at the exact same time. As Jesus says in verses nine, uh, 7 and 9, all we need from that moment, he said those words, reiterated by the author of Hebrews and going all the way through till now and beyond, is Jesus and Jesus alone. We already talked about this and we covered the preceding verse 6 a couple of weeks ago. But all we need to have a restored relationship with God the Father and be gifted entrance into his household of heaven when we die or, or when Jesus comes back for us is who Jesus is and what he already did for us. Like we talked about more a couple of weeks ago, we do not and simply cannot add anything to our salvation or earn it through good works or trying to be a good person. The only way to have a relationship with God the Father, the only way to experience his presence in our lives, and even the only way we have to see any of God's glory is through Jesus. It's through not 
just trying to justify how good we think we are and try to be. It's the complete opposite of embracing how much of sinners we really are and how we'll never be able to please God, much less gain entrance into his heaven on our own or through anything we can do. It's rather only through fully embracing that our sin separates us from most holy God and that it's only through Jesus paying our sin death debt on our behalf and then coming back to life that we have, only, that we have any hope to come to him in repentance of our sin and take Jesus as a savior from that sin and true king over the rest of our lives. It's only through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension that the Holy Spirit was sent from both the Father and the Son to indwell us, open our spiritual eyes to even repent and take Jesus as our Savior and King, and then enable us to grow and deepen our relationship with God the Father through God the Son as his mediator between himself and humanity. Because Hebrews tells us that the full radiance of God's glory has already been revealed in God the Son, in what God the Son already revealed about God the Father, what are we not to crave and seek after like Philip did? Other manifestations of God's glory. Much less attend church services where the primary focus is seeking miraculous manifestations of God's glory. Again, what you're doing, already what you're doing, is opening yourself up to counterfeit manifestations of God's glory and even demonic counterfeit displays. Remember, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light in order to trick people. Keep that in mind. Now, God can certainly use the more miraculous spiritual gifts for an evangelistic purpose, since that's what their purpose is. But simply craving and seeking after other manifestations of God's glory for the sake of experiencing it completely bypasses what God's word already tells us is how God now reveals his presence and the manifestation of his glory. It's a dangerous and frankly unbiblical view of God and how he relates to us to simply crave and chase after those experiences just for the sake of experiencing them. As we've read in a couple of different places and as Jesus himself said in our passage this morning, God's presence, messages, and even radiance of his glory, all of it has already been given to us. We experience God's presence and glory through our relationship with Jesus and his indwelling Holy Spirit. And as the Apostle John first started off this gospel with, again, as we talked about more a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is the fulfillment and embodiment of the very wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God revealed in his word. That does not negate the righteous standards of the law to Moses. Rather, Jesus fulfills all the standards of righteousness in the law and upholds those standards of righteousness as how we should still live and follow him. 
Notice I said the standards that have to do with what God deems as righteousness and what he deems as sin. In fact, the rest of the New Testament teaches that while we are freed from being held to all the civil, ritualistic, festival, Sabbath, and dietary laws of the Mosaic Law, it reiterates the standards of righteousness given in the law that the disciples of Jesus are still to follow. So since Jesus is the embodiment of the entire word of God, how else has God revealed his wisdom, presence, and dare I even say, his glory? Throughout his word. Therefore, this may or may not already be obvious, but other than communing with God the Father through the mediating God the Son in prayer, how else do we build, grow, and deepen our relationship with God? We get to know God better and better through reading his word. Just as the author of Hebrews wrote with, in these last days, Beginning part of verse 2, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son. You want to hear the voice of God in and over your life? I think all of us want to hear the voice of God over and in our life. You want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. You want his wisdom to know how to handle any kind of situation or make any kind of decision? Read your Bible. You want to experience God's presence in your life? Read your Bible. It's the simplest thing we could be doing, especially as followers of Jesus, but it's one of the first things, right, to go when life gets too busy or we get too overwhelmed or we keep giving into our humanity and sinful desires. And then what happens? God feels far away, doesn't he? Life feels even more unbearable. We don't know what to do in different decisions. We're confused and wonder where God went. As the old saying goes, who moved? God certainly did not move. You moved away from God. So if and when you find yourself in that experience, the answer is really very simple. Start reading your Bible again. Start studying it. As you study God's word, you're also seeking God. And what does God promise to those who seek him? And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Are you seeking God with all your heart by studying his word as much as you can? If you haven't yet come to God in prayer and repented of your sins and taken Jesus to be the only Savior from that sin and the only king over the rest of your life, that's the very first step to having God in your life and experiencing his presence in it. Those of us who have, how much are we seeking God with all of our hearts? And finding him, his movement, his glory through Jesus, spending time with God in prayer and deepening our relationship with him and reading his word and not only reading it, but studying it and wrestling with it. 
thereby seeking God with all of our hearts. See, it all makes perfect sense. How much of your life is spent just kind of passing through it? Or building up for yourself treasures and a comfy life here on this earth? Or being tossed, and fro, tossed to and fro by whatever news comes down the pike? Whether global or national or personal or medical or occupational or financial? How much of your life is spent firmly rooted in the truth and doctrine of God's word? Like you've heard me say over and over again, you might have gotten sick of it by now. Having good, solid, biblical theology and understanding of it will save you from a lot of heartache and relinquished peace in this life. It will save you from a lot of that. We only know what is solid biblical doctrine if we're reading, studying, having an accurate understanding of, and knowing what's even in God's word and what it actually says about any given topic, and not just based on hearsay. We get to know God and experience his, his presence and glory through God the Son. Firstly, by taking his death and resurrection for ourselves in repentance— and both in him as the mediator in prayer and reading and studying his word. We don't need to chase after spiritual highs and experiences. We already have been given the radiance of God's glory and presence, and especially in these last days, it's revealed in the Son and therefore his Holy Spirit and his word. In a world that constantly wants to overcomplicate and confuse everything, God has made it very simple and very clear to us as, as his disciples. What was a shockingly audacious statement directly from Jesus in verses 7 and 9, taken right along with verse 6, is what our only hope is based upon. Jesus is I am and God the way the truth and the life and the revelation of God's presence God's glory and God's wisdom especially for us in these last days so let us seek him as the glory and revelation of God with all of our hearts Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for cutting through all the noise and bringing us right back to where it should always be. Getting to know you through communing with you in prayer and reading and studying your word. If there's anybody here today who life has caused them to get away from your word and prayer and they feel pretty far away from you, I pray that you would lead them back and that you would instill in them the conviction uh, to spend each and every day reading and studying your word and communing with you in prayer and by that way getting to know you in deeper and deeper levels. We thank you that you've given us a way to get to know you in deeper and deeper levels. So I pray that we would take advantage of that 
with all of who we are and seek after you with all of our hearts because you promise us that when we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. We will find your presence. We will find your glory. We will find your wisdom. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me.